you for the reading of God's Word this morning as we talk about how God holds all of our tomorrows. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28, the Bible says, Now we brethren, that includes the sistren as well, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Because God keeps His promises, we're free to trust. Look with me at Psalms 139 and verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I cannot even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Now stop and think about this for just a moment. God's thoughts towards you are precious. God's thinking about you this morning. We confessed our sins just a few moments ago before we took communion. But because we confessed our sins did not mean that God was angry with us. It means that God loves us. God's wrath and anger was poured out upon Jesus Christ. Even when we sin, God's thoughts towards us are still precious. He never forgets us. He always loves us. But just like you don't want your child to participate in something that will hurt him or destroy him, or adopt an attitude that will hurt him or destroy him, that's God's precious thoughts towards you. And so by coming and repenting and saying, Lord, forgive me, God is adjusting our attitudes. He's adjusting our hearts, and he's breaking the power of pride in our lives. So his thoughts towards you are always precious, and his thoughts about you, even though our lives are finite, his thoughts about you are unlimited. He never stops thinking about you. This passage of Scripture, by the way, is one of those fundamental passages of why abortion is wrong is because it cuts off the plan that God has for somebody. God has a plan for a life. My son, our son is deploying in just a few days, and so we flew down to see him before he deploys. And, and I sat on the floor with my special needs grandchild and whose white matter is missing, but all the gray matter is there. And though he can't express himself, seeing him love and respond to my voice or rise up when he hears me come in, his little head just comes up and laughs. My thoughts towards him are precious. And I found myself one day just weeping, saying, God, thank you for what you're doing for us through Josiah. Your thoughts towards him are precious. Now, it doesn't stop me from praying for a complete miracle in his life. But because a life may not be the quality that we think we ought to be, we have no right to cut that life off. It's precious in the eyes of God. The Bible goes on to say in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God's got a good plan for you. God's got a future for you. For those families that I prayed with this week, that one was a former youth minister who tried to commit suicide, and my heart broke. Where did they lose the hope? What happened in their life that caused them to give up on the God who never gives up on you? 
Don't give up on the God who will never give up on you. You may be going through some difficult times, but God will pull you through if you can stand the pulling. You've got to know that he's got a good plan for you. In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Now listen to the love. If you could read this in Hebrew, you would just feel it. It's not a stern rebuke. But listen to the love that just pours out. Oh, let me just call a few names. Oh, Matt. Oh, oh, Camilla. Choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Barb, choose life. Don, choose life so that you and your grandchildren and your children might live. Heinz, choose life. God's love for you and your family and your great-grandchildren. God is saying, I love you. Choose life, not the way of this world. Father, I ask you to help me contain myself. And just flow with your spirit because this message burns like a fire in my bones today. And I pray that you're going to just touch hearts and lives here in our online campuses and, Lord, other countries as they listen today. God, you have a promise for all of our tomorrows. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I shared with you at the beginning of this series, and some of you have already ordered the book and began reading it, all the promises in the Bible by a man by the name of Herman, Herbert Lockyer. And Herbert Lockyer says there's over 7,500 promises that God has made to us in the Bible. Amazing promises. I, I don't even know all the promises. I told you I've been on a, a journey just to go through and highlight every one of those promises that God has for us. But the ones that I know are so precious and so powerful. When I read to you this morning that God has a plan for your life and that God's good plans are to prosper you, you might think, as I thought this week with those who, who've had tragedy in their lives and somehow another gave up and thought the best thing to do was to end their life. Or for those that I prayed with this week or I held like I did Josiah, whose name means the Lord heals, as I held them, you might think, well, can we miss God's plan? Of course you can miss God's plan. That's the reason God tells you, choose life. That's the reason God tells you, you have a choice to make. We're, we are not robots. Every once in a while, somebody will ask me, especially lost people, typically don't hear from that from you, but if you, in case you're wondering, why does God allow evil in the world? God allows evil in the world because God gave us the wonderful freedom to choose. We're created in the image of God. We have the capability of making choice. If God took away our ability to choose, then friends, we would be nothing more than robots. So some people choose to do evil. Some people choose to do good. What, what Putin is doing 
is evil. He's not chose God's plan, leveling and burning those cities, killing those babies, destroying families. As my mother said to me with so much anger in her voice over the phone, she says, I don't understand how a man could have such a big, powerful country and want to steal a little bitty country. I said, Mama, the Bible gives us the clear answer to that. Wars come from the greed and the lust for power in our hearts. People do this every day of their lives, but in much smaller, insignificant ways than what Putin's done. And so when we're facing conflicts and trials, that's when we need to hear this message. I mean, if we're not facing conflicts and trials, then we need to learn this message so that when we face them, we're prepared for that. You see, God created life but people chose death. And I remind you again of, of what the Word says. Choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And that indication is here that you would flourish and that you would prosper, that you would do well. So God says to me and he says to you, trust me with your tomorrows. Trust me with your tomorrows. There are things that happen all the time that surprise me that catch me off guard. We had this week the death of a beloved member of our congregation. We'll be having a memorial service for her here later. She's someone that has walked with Becky and I and with our young people, many of you that are young adults in this church. She's influenced and impacted your life. Sharon has lived a good life, and yet Sharon went through a period of time of great trial, two significant times that I can tell you about in her life and in her marriage. We would meet here, and we would pray right here at this altar, right over here in front of where the pews are over to my right, and we would kneel down together, and we'd call her husband's name out to the Lord, praying for God's mercy, praying for God's convictions, and then the next time I would see him, it would be like God hadn't done anything in his life or his heart at all. Have you ever had those moments when you've been praying for someone and it just doesn't look like anything's happening? And sometimes there would be these moments I would go, God, are you listening? I, and I don't know if you've ever been that way, but are you listening? But I remember when Tom crossed the line and committed his heart to Jesus and became a passionate, passionate follower of Christ. I not only had the happy privilege of praying with him, I had the happy privilege of buying him his first cup ever of Starbucks coffee. <laughs> Thank God for Starbucks. By the way, he didn't like it. <laughs> but we enjoyed our time together. And then I remember when Sharon was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And Tom Jr. and I were talking the other day, and and I remember that time when that, when that diagnosis came and, and I was given permission to be with them and to hear what the doctors were telling her. It was dire. It was awful. There was no hope. You just don't survive with the kind of brain surgery that, that Sharon had. But God gave her seven more wonderful years to watch her grandchildren grow. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? But I remember talking with Sharon in the hospital and holding her hand and praying with her and looking at her family and says, this did not catch God by surprise. God is never surprised by your tomorrows or my tomorrows or our todays. The Word of God says, trust in the Lord completely 
Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. I believe that, that God will lead me if I want his will. That's why we, we took the communion the way we did. Notice this next sentence. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. I love that statement. Become intimate. It means get to know him, love him, serve him, spend time. Don't just come to church on Sunday morning, but begin your day with a morning altar time. Put the fire on the altar and lift your hands up. That's what I mean by put the fire on the altar. Lift your hands up and just worship him and thank him that he gave you another day. And before the day closes, kneel and offer the evening sacrifice. And again, put fire on the altar and lift your hands up to the Lord and thank him. God says he will lead the man or the woman who trusts him and gets to know him like that. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. And then you will find, listen, you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring Him with your very best and with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Look at what He says here. You will find the healing of refreshment that comes for your body, your soul, and your spirit. You say, Pastor, what's that, in, that inner container of joy? It's the Spirit of God who lives within us. You might ask me, Pastor, are you afraid of the devil? No. I want to say another word with no. Maybe I'll just say, heck no, and I'm going to be in trouble with Becky later. Why should I fear the devil when greater is he that lives within me than he that lives within the world? <laughs> Hallelujah. The bloodline of Jesus is upon our hearts, that inner source of joy. Offering that morning and evening fire. Secondly, God says, I'll help you overcome temptation. <gasps> Pastor, are you ever tempted? Yeah. We're all tempted every single day. Jesus himself, according to Hebrews 2 and verse 18 Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, and he's able to help us when we are being tested because he's been tempted in every way that we are. He knows how to help us. He knows how to help us get through. He knows he can show us how to overcome. I think that's the reason we have such a graphic description of what Jesus went through in his wilderness experience. And notice the Bible says, you don't miss this, the Bible says that God drove him, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. I don't know if there was something about being, in, being incarnate and taking on our human form that Jesus did not want to go there, but the Spirit drove. He wasn't led. He was drove by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there for 40 days, he fasted and prayed before he began his ministry, and he was tested. He was tried, just like we are in every way. 
It's the reason I love Hebrews chapter 2. Let me show you real quickly several things from Hebrews chapter 2. I don't have time to, to, to expound upon them, but these are things, this is why you need to study the book of Hebrews. Number one, the Bible tells us because of this, Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Number two, the Bible tells us because of this that Jesus will bring many children into his glory. You can trust God to work in your family's life. You're not here by an accident today. God wanted you to hear this. Those of you that are watching, online. God is wanting to draw you into his presence and to bring you into glory. Jesus completed his purpose through sufferings, so I must expect at times that I'm going to suffer in this fallen world. We are made holy. In other words, remember the out of circulation I talked about are sanctified. Jesus destroyed the devil who held the power of death over us. Can you say amen to that? Why would I ever be afraid of him? So many people act like they're afraid of the devil and demons. Jesus delivers us completely from the fear of death. Say, Pastor, do you want to die? No, I don't want to die. I laid hands on my son. I prayed with him this week before he goes off again. My heart breaks and heavy, but I know who holds my sons tomorrow, and I know where he's going if he should ever perish. I know who holds tomorrow. I'm not afraid of death because Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the devil, and the grave, and my son, and myself, and all of you that have put your faith in Christ. We have a place in heaven just like Sharon is with Christ in heaven today. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you haven't been following my blog this week, I've been blogging on heaven. Never be afraid of death. Look it in the eye. Spit it in the eye. Swing a cross on a rotten cornstalk and say, God, here's my hope and my salvation. Nothing will ever stop me from doing what God wants me to do. Jesus is my faithful high priest, Hebrews tells us. That means he's interceding for me. Listen, I want you to pray. I ask you to help me pray this morning with folks. But in the back of my mind, I always know Jesus is praying for me. And Jesus is praying for you this morning. Say that to yourself, or maybe write that in your outline. Jesus is praying for me. And then he helps us in every temptation. This high priest of ours in Hebrews 4, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Then we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, now listen. Being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. It's what I do with that temptation. You know, if you're tempted, let's just say today you might see a beautiful woman that's not your wife or a handsome man that's not your husband and you might think, wow, God, you really did a good job. That's temptation. You know, you're just appreciated. But now if you start imagining, wow, I bet she would be a better wife than my wife, or I bet he would be a better, then you're starting to fantasize. I love what Martin Luther said. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head you can't stop the birds from even coming and lighting, but you can keep them from building a nest. Has anybody ever had a bird build a nest in their, your gutter or somewhere in your house? You know what I'm talking about? You go out there, and what do you do? You tear that thing down. So being tempted is not a sin. How many of you ever, how many of you, just be honest with me, how many of you have ever been praying 
And all of a sudden, you've just had this thought. You go, God, where did that thought come from? Well, lift your hands. Come on. You said, where did that thought come from? The rest of you are lying. You need to pray through right now. I'm telling you, Jesus may come before I'm done with this message. You need to pray through. It's a common experience. I hear it all the time. That's not a sin. You just say, oh, Lord, I don't even want to think like that. But now if you stop praying, you go, hmm, hmm. You're letting the birds build a nest in your mind. And the Bible says, the bird, Jesus used an illustration about demonic spirits that the birds of the air will come and try to steal the seed of the Word of God from your heart. The third thing I want you to see this morning is God says you can count on me when you're in trouble. Now, trouble is different than temptation. Trouble is, well, you know what trouble is. You go through, it's Sharon going through the cancer treatment that she went through and the surgery and the recovery. Trouble is when you've lost your job through no fault of your own. Trouble is when you, 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 you have to go fight a war. But you see, every fear is a misunderstanding of who God is. And I wish I could claim originality for that quote, but if you haven't read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, I would encourage you all to read that. Every fear is a misunderstanding of who God is. Those fears that I allow to dominate my life. Look at this next passage. When you pass through the deep, stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. Now, that, notice this word, when you pass. It means you're going to go through some troubles. When you pass through the raging rivers, you will not drown. It doesn't mean that God's going to keep you from going through the sea or the river but you're not going to drown. When you walk through persecutions like fiery flames, you will not be burned. You're going to have persecution in your life if you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And the flames will not harm you, for I am your Savior, Yahweh, your mighty God. What's he saying there? He's saying, you're going to go, you live in a fallen world. I live in a fallen world. This is not heaven. Can you say amen to that? This is not heaven. We're on our way to a place called heaven. But in this life, we will overcome every trial. We will overcome every temptation. We will overcome every testing because God has said they will not drown us. They will not overwhelm us. And we will not be burned up by them. We shall overcome. Somebody say amen this morning. Hallelujah. We will overcome. Fourthly, God says, I will pay back those who hurt you. I will pay back those who hurt you. Boy, this is an important point. We've all been hurt. Here at Woodland, one of the things as your pastor I have taught you through the years is that everybody's name, including your enemy's name, should be safe in your mouth. Everybody's name, including your enemy's name, should be safe in your mouth. Let us never become the people who talk evil or question the character or question the motives. Some of you need to stop watching the news so much. Some of you need to maybe just really get before the Lord and say, Father, help me with this. Because my job in life is not to hurt those who have hurt me. 
Your job in life is not to hurt those who have hurt you. None of us likes to be hurt. Our job is to bless and to love and to forgive our enemies. Can you say amen? But God, God will take care of those who've hurt you. Now, and I need those of you to listen online really carefully because I don't want to be misunderstood. Listen to this passage of Scripture. I think God's Word says it the clearest. Never pay back evil with more evil. Never pay back gossip with more gossip. Never pay back questioning somebody's motives or character with more questioning of their motives or character. Never hit somebody because they hit you. And I, I know you've got questions, but if you'll hang on, I'm going to answer them in just a moment. So just listen. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Say that with me. You are honorable. Look at your neighbor this morning, if you know them, and say, you are honorable. You are. You are honorable people. Years ago, when our church was in so much financial trouble, I mean, we were in some financial, most of you weren't even here during that time, fighting battles, and I remember sitting down with the banker, and I was new in town, I, you know, a lot of things going on, and they were just letting me have it because there were some things that had going on, and I just stopped him, and I says, listen, I want to tell you something. I said, I want you to know I'm not just another fly-by-night preacher. I told him a little bit about my experience, and then I produced a PhD, that my PhD thesis that my uncle had written on why churches can be trusted financially. I said, the people who make up this congregation are some of the best people in this community. They love their church. They love God. And we will never default on a loan. Look at me. I looked at the banker in the eyes and said, look at me. Because he was mad about some things. I said, we will never default. And we never did. We paid ahead. God has been good. And our church is in such a wonderful place today because of the blessings of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Because and I don't say this to flatter you. To flatter you is to lay a snare for your feet. Because you are honorable people. Now you know whether you live a dishonorable life. And some people justify their dishonorability, if that's a word, with lies the way Putin has dishonored the truth by trying to justify his aggressions against his tiny little neighbor called Ukraine. So you know and if that's you, you should confess and repent that and change your ways. Because the Bible then says, do all that you can to do with, to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Mm. How many of you like me sometime you go, I don't like that. You know, I admitted this years ago, some Sunday nights, I just like to watch a blow em up movie. I like to watch the bad guy get blowed up. I have this vicarious experience, seeing the guy that did all the evil, just suddenly, mm, the good guy just blows him up, puts his gun back in his holster. I wasn't the right place to say amen. <laughs> That's my fallen nature. That's your fallen nature. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will 
pay them back, says the Lord. And it may not be in this lifetime, but it may be in the next lifetime. God is going to pay back evil people for all the evil they have done. Never let anybody confuse you or deny the reality of a real heaven and a real hell. Justice delayed is not justice denied. God is a just and a righteous God. Calvary wasn't because we were good people. Calvary was because we were people that were lost in our sins and trespasses, doing evil to others in this world, and Christ came to set us free from that. Somebody say amen this morning. Hallelujah. Now, here's the question that I know somebody is asking, and I want to answer that. If somebody attacks my family, I'm going to defend them. I wouldn't love my family if I didn't defend them. I got into a, a conversation that got real intense with a minister in our community who's pacifist and he took issue with something that I had said here, and he, he, he watches our messages and took issue. And I said, listen, if I didn't defend my family, I didn't love them. And he looked at me, and he says, I hadn't really thought about it that way. He said, but I don't believe in war. And I said, well, I don't believe in war either, but we live in an evil, fallen world. And I said, one of the men that Jesus said had great faith was a soldier, a soldier that swore his life to defending and protecting others. And because he was willing to lay down his life for others, he grasped something about faith. Jesus never said that to a Jewish person at that time. That's not, a, that's not an anti-Semitic statement, and my Jewish friends know that. I, I'm willing to have this conversation with anyone. But Jesus said that to a Gentile. He had great faith. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his brother or for his sister. So not taking revenge doesn't mean that we don't protect those that we love. What I did with the banker was defend honorable people. And you will always have the chance to speak up or to cower back. The golf pro at the local golf course was a member of our church in Georgia. Went through a very difficult time, was under attack in the city, and one day he asked me to come play a round of golf, and I said, you know, it's a difficult thing, but I'm willing to do it with you because I love you. So we were coming around on the back nine, and we had been talking about the problem, and group of men came over to him and patted him on the back and says, you have our silent support. When they walked away, he looked at me and he says, you know, pastor, silent support isn't worth a bucket of warm spit. If you don't have the courage to defend honorable people, you're not an honorable man or woman. So does that make sense? Not taking revenge doesn't mean we don't defend the helpless. Well, I've, I've got to close this message. Number five, God says, I will reward your life of love and generosity. In other words, God will reward your service, your ministry, your generosity to others. Hebrews 6.10, God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people, and he will remember that you were still helping them. And then if you go to the last point, and sweetheart, if you'll come to the piano, God says, 
I will complete my work of grace in your life. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Would you stand with me this morning? If you would go to the Charles Spurgeon quote at the end of the growth work, the best praying man is the man who most believingly familiar with the promises of God. Now look at that. The best praying man or woman is the man who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. This is why we're taking time to look at all of these many promises. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to Him and saying to Him, do as thou hast said. Prayer is the promise utilized. Say that with me. Prayer is the promise utilized. One more time. Prayer is the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. So we've looked at the promise of heaven. This morning we've looked at the promise of God holding all your tomorrows. We're not afraid. We don't live our lives in fear of anyone or anything but God himself. And that word fear is more about reverence and respect. Meditate on these promises. Pray over these promises. Know that God is for you, not against you. Know that he that is in you, within you, is greater than he that is without you. And know that God is saying to you, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, with all the love in his heart, that's what Calvary was all about. That's what communion was all about. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Commit your life to him. Invite him into your heart. Ask him to be the Lord and master of your life. Maybe you're struggling with some temptations that you're having a difficult time to let go. Jesus knows how to help you. Some of us this church know how to help you too. Maybe you're going through some deep waters or a fiery furnace of a trial right now. God will pull you through if you can stand the pulling. Know this tomorrow, nothing, nothing, nothing catches God by surprise. If God has allowed this to come into your life, God will bring great good and God will bring great glory. I held Josiah. He has no control. But I looked at Josiah and I said, God, you receive great glory through these constantly clapping hands, these constantly kicking little feet. He sat at the bay window and watched as his brothers and I jumped on the trampoline and I could see him clapping and smiling and saying, God, heal him. Let him jump with his papa. But if somehow or another that doesn't happen in my lifetime, you know this, God is faithful.
His faithfulness is not judged by what I see. It's judged by who He is. And He will be all this to you this morning. So, Heavenly Father, thank You that You hold our tomorrows. In all honesty, Lord, I, I could lose my life today. In all honesty, Lord, something could happen in the future. I could lose my marriage. I could lose my children. I could lose my health. But all these things, God, you hold all my tomorrows. And I know that you will pull me through. And I know you will pull everyone in this congregation and everyone listening online. You will pull them through. So in the storm, in the sea, in the furnace, oh, Holy Spirit, remind everyone here of these words today. You'll not be drowned. You'll not be consumed by the flames. For I, the Lord God, am with you. So in faith, reach out and touch him today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for giving your life to me. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now may the Lord who holds all your tomorrows, may the Lord who has a good and wonderful plan for your life, may the Lord who pulls you through every circumstance fill your life with courage and let your hearts overflow with joy for his thoughts about you are precious and they are without number today. Go in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen, amen, and amen.